You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Diplomatic backdoor afflicts Africa, Europe, and Southwest Asia. Electronic arts source code has been stolen. Fancy Lazarus is back, despite the name. It's an extortion gang, not an espionage service. An international law enforcement action takes down a credential market, making good data available for AI research. There's a growing appetite for cyber regulation in Washington. Thomas Etheridge from CrowdStrike looks at protecting cloud data. And Matt Coyote of Palo Alto Networks Unit 42 has highlights from their cloud threat report. And hold that side order of fries. A McBreach is disclosed. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, June 11th, 2021. Researchers at ESET, the Bratislava-based security company, have issued a report on a cyber espionage operation targeting charitable groups, diplomatic organizations, telcos, and others in Africa, Europe, and the Middle East. The threat actor is being called backdoor diplomacy for its use of the Turian backdoor and its preference for diplomatic targets. Turian appears to be a derivative of the Quarian backdoor, seen in earlier operations against targets in Asia. Backdoor diplomacy is a cross-platform threat, afflicting both Windows and Linux systems. Electronic Arts, the popular game and esports company, disclosed yesterday that it had been breached. CNN reports that on June 6th, cybercriminals claimed to have taken 780 gigabytes of data from EA and that their haul included Frostbite source code. Frostbite is the game engine behind the widely played FIFA, Madden, and Battlefield franchises, as well as other less well-known titles. EA is confident that no player data was accessed and that the incident doesn't represent a threat to user privacy. The incident seems to be an IP hack and not an attempt to steal personal data. The criminal's motivation appears to be the sale of the code in various hacker markets. In posts on underground forums, the hackers hawked their stolen code with a big dose of marketing bravado, quote, "...you have full capability of exploiting on all EA services." Motherboard quotes them as writing. They posted screenshots to provide some evidence that they have what they claim to have. 
but they're releasing the source code only to paying customers. Don't bother contacting them unless you're actually interested in buying. Only Sirius and Rep members, all other would be ignored, they wrote. So if you would be interested in buying, not of course that you would be, but if you were, remember to be Sirius and Rep. But hey, that's good advice anytime, right? Security firm Proofpoint yesterday released a study of a criminal group that styles itself a fancy Lazarus and that specializes in extortion by distributed denial of service. One might think fancy Lazarus was either a Russian or a North Korean operator, but it's not. Its chosen name is an apparent homage to Fancy Bear and the Lazarus Group, but Proofpoint discerns no connection whatsoever to either group. Instead, Fancy Lazarus seems to be an ordinary criminal operation. In the past, it's borrowed the popular names of well-known state-run actors, including Fancy Bear, Lazarus, Lazarus Group, and Armada Collective, but that's all apparently either misdirection or, more probably, an attempt to look more menacing than in fact they are. Fancy Lazarus, Proofpoint says, is taking aim at an increasing number of industries, including the energy, financial, insurance, manufacturing, public utilities, and retail sectors. They threaten a crippling DDoS attack, but as often as not, if they're ignored, they're simply not heard from again. Some victims report demonstration DDoS attacks, and a few of them say they've experienced some degree of disruption, but in general, fancy Lazarus seems to be more talk than action. The U.S. Justice Department announced yesterday afternoon that an international law enforcement operation had taken down SLILP, that's S-L-I-L-P-P, an underground marketplace where stolen login credentials were sold, The joint action by police in Germany, the Netherlands, Romania, and the United States seized the servers that Slilp used and the domains those servers hosted. Justice explained in the seizure warrant under which it acted, Since 2012, the Slilp marketplace has been selling stolen logon credentials, including usernames and passwords for bank accounts, online payment accounts, mobile phone accounts, retailer accounts, and other online accounts. Its customers used the credentials they stole to conduct unauthorized transactions, such as wire transfers, from the related accounts. The U.S. alone has arrested more than a dozen people connected to SLILP. A good set of training data are to the AI race what locks and kerosene were to the early space race. Artificial intelligence needs data to train on, and the sources of such data must be reliable and as reasonably free of bias as any human product can be. The Wall Street Journal reports that the U.S. government is considering ways of making suitably sanitized data available to AI researchers. The National Artificial Intelligence Research Task Force, a 12-member body operating under the White House Office of Science and Technology, is working toward a strategy for doing just that. Much of the motivation for the program is economic. The U.S. seems to be anticipating a Sputnik moment in AI, with China taking the role of Russia as principal strategic competitor. The Voice of America says that Chris Inglis and Jen Easterly, nominated respectively for the posts of U.S. National Cyber Director and Director of the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, Both said yesterday during confirmation hearings before the U.S. Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee that they favored a more active role for government in private sector cybersecurity. 
Neither markets nor voluntary standards nor enlightened self-interest strike the nominees as sufficient, and they both favor more regulation. They're likely to find sympathetic ears on Capitol Hill, where, Reuters reports, the U.S. Senate is considering whether legislation is necessary to address the risk of cyber attacks, and particularly the ransomware threat. One sign of that sympathy is a letter the chair and ranking member of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee sent yesterday to the acting director of the Office of Management and Budget and the assistant to the President for National Security Affairs. The letter opens, quote, We write you today with serious concern about the state of our nation's cybersecurity and the threat of ransomware attacks directed at our critical infrastructure, end quote and goes on to say they want information that can inform anti-ransomware legislation they're in the process of drafting. They have three specific information requirements that suggest the lines along which they're thinking. First, information on strategies that relevant federal agencies are developing and implementing to combat ransomware attacks. Second, any new authorities or revisions to existing authorities that would further empower relevant federal agencies to combat ransomware attacks and respond when they do occur. And third, suggestions for Congress to consider as we develop legislation and oversight plans to combat ransomware attacks. End quote. And finally, the Wall Street Journal reports that McDonald's operations in South Korea and Taiwan have sustained a data breach. The hackers stole customer emails, phone numbers, and addresses for delivery customers in South Korea and Taiwan, the journal says. McDonald's says that some employee data in the U.S. was also accessed, but none of it was either sensitive or personal. The incident wasn't a ransomware attack. The burger giant has engaged the services of cybersecurity firms and notified the appropriate authorities. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. 
Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 recently released the latest edition of their Cloud Threat Report. And as you might expect, COVID-19 played a big part in cloud security over the past few months. I checked in with Matt Chiodi from Unit 42 for details on the report. Well, we do cloud threat reports about every six months. And uh, whenever we do them, we typically choose a different topic. But this time around, we're obviously still in the throes of the COVID-19 pandemic. And what we wanted to do this time was, was something a little bit different. We wanted to see how has COVID-19 impacted security in the cloud. And so what we did was, is we looked at uh, data pre-COVID-19 discovery and then post-COVID-19 discovery and really to see what what's changed and how did, you know, for example, uh, Pew Research found that, you know, employees working remotely pre-pandemic was about 20%. And then after, uh, within a matter of months, that number jumped to 71%. That's Pew Mm. Research data. So whenever you have a massive shift in a workforce like that, there is bound to be uh, security impacts. And that's really what we wanted to see. What's changed? How did things like that impact cloud security? And that's exactly what we focused on throughout this report. Well, let's go through it together. What were some of the highlights here? What are some of the things that uh, really drew your attention? Sure. Um, the, The first one, and this is really what I would say probably shocked me was that we actually saw cloud security incidents increase once the COVID-19 pandemic began. So uh, what we found was that cloud security incidents, they nearly uh, tripled in the in the second quarter of 2020, so April to June. They increased by uh, almost 188%. Now to be clear, uh, we define a security incident as events that caused violations in security policies that put sensitive data at risk. So again, cloud security incidents, they nearly, uh, they nearly uh, doubled at 188% increase in that second quarter of 2020. So just massive change in, in terms of security incidents. That's kind of a, probably one of the big high-level items that, that came out of the report. Well, what sort of insights do you have on, on the why as to, you know, what's, what are the, the the actual changes in people's behavior or opportunities or desires that that triggered the shift? So you know when when organizations uh, when when the COVID really first started to to unfold, this really caused many organizations yes because of uh, work from home types of things they needed that uh, rapid spin up of of basically compute that only cloud can offer and. As organizations rapidly scaled their cloud usage, uh, we found that uh, overall that there was a a massive increase in that. So, for example, uh, when we look at uh, certain industries, uh, they that was very uh, different in terms of you know how they scaled their cloud usage. But but overall, uh, we saw that most industries across the board rapidly scaled their actual uh, cloud usage. And one of the things that we dive into in the report is we don't just look at it globally. We actually dove into how did it impact cloud security by region? How did it impact it by industry? And what we saw was that as they scaled their workloads, unfortunately, their 
cloud security incidents disproportionately increased as well. And really the the why behind that is that without automation, sudden increases in cloud workloads lead to a dramatic growth in security incidents. And unfortunately, that often leads to overwhelmed security teams. Overall, is is are we are we at a state where the message is is hopeful that we feel like folks are getting on top of this, or or do you feel like we're slipping behind, or are we treading water? Well, certainly, uh, in response to the pandemic, we were barely treading water. And again, mm. and, and this was probably some of the uh, some of the other interesting findings was that COVID nineteen critical industries they actually suffered a spike in security incidents. Right, so we looked at from October of 2019 through February of 2021, right? So it's a kind of a, a long period of time. And we actually found that cloud security incidents for the retail, manufacturing, and government industries rose by 402% for, uh, for retail, 230% for manufacturing, and 205% for the government. These are those same industries that were among those facing the greatest pressures to adapt and scale in the face of the pandemic. Retailers for basic necessities and manufacturing and government for COVID-19 supplies and aid. So, you know, the question I would be asking is, is, you know, if I was an attacker, which industry poses the best risk reward? And the Mm -hmm. answer is, unfortunately, retail, manufacturing, and government. They had huge spikes in cloud growth, but they also saw their incident spike. And this takes us back to kind of where we started. If you don't automate security, security teams will be overwhelmed and they will be barely treading water. That's Matt Chioti from Palo Alto Networks Unit 42. You can find the latest version of their cloud threat report on their website. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Thomas Etheridge. He is Senior Vice President Services at CrowdStrike. Thomas, it's great to have you back. Um, I want to touch today on data protection in the cloud and and how folks can best go about making sure that they're covered there. What can you share with us? Thanks, Dave. It's great to be back. Well, everybody's talking about transformational projects and the push to the cloud. We've seen a tremendous amount of organizations move uh, applications and infrastructure from uh, traditional on-premise model to cloud infrastructure. And a lot of that's due to 
you know, things like COVID, uh, moving workforces to work from home or work from anywhere models, telemedicine, uh, online purchasing, all those things are driving bigger infrastructure and the, the need for scale. And that's pushing a lot of organizations to the cloud. One of the things we are talking to our customers about, and I preach in many of the, the talks that I give are the three M's uh, around the security challenges. Those three M's being misconfiguration of cloud infrastructure, mismanagement of cloud infrastructure, and mistakes. And those things are typically at the root or heart of most cloud breaches that CrowdStrike responds to. Well, how do folks go at uh, making sure that they're covered with those three M's? There are a number of things that organizations can do. Technologies such as cloud posture management technology provides for capabilities to help automate the identification of issues and understand how to remediate those risks across many different types of cloud infrastructures, including infrastructure as a service, software as a service, and platform as, as a service infrastructures. Cloud security posture management provides for being able to visualize risk and do assessments, provide improved incident response capability and monitoring for compliance purposes, as well as provide capabilities around DevOps integration. And if implemented properly uh, and monitored properly can help reduce false positive and uncover hidden threats. How much do you, do you find that um, when handling this transition to the cloud that, you know, folks sometimes don't have a good handle for everything they've got in their network? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about everything we've seen recently with the Microsoft Exchange server incident where there were folks out there who had Exchange servers running and in the course of their cloud transition uh, may have lost track of that. Absolutely. So we, we recognize that skills are a big challenge, especially for organizations that are moving very rapidly to the cloud. Um, in addition to cloud posture management, which I talked about, there's additional capabilities that can provide some increased visibility and fidelity around what might be happening in your cloud environment. Increasing and having index-free cloud log management capabilities implemented are key to being able to capture the necessary data to respond instantly or more effectively to, in, to an incident when it does occur. It allows for the ability to pinpoint areas of concern and to potentially recover from incidents when they happen. Another uh, big focus for us in talking to our clients is around identity management uh, and zero trust. Uh, zero trust architectures can help organizations verify the users in their environment, uh, provide for segmentation and enforcement of the privileged, least privileged uh, principles. It also can help, you know, analyze the IT stack, including what users you have in your environment, what are those users doing, what workloads are they uh, working from, and, and what endpoints exist in that infrastructure as well. Are you seeing more and more organizations having, as new organizations are spun up, are they are they doing business almost exclusively in the cloud? I mean, seeing less of these sort of hybrid solutions, kind of you know, think legacy things that are that are uh, holding on from the past. I think it's a mix, Dave. A lot of organizations aren't able to forklift everything they do today with their on-premise infrastructure and move it into the cloud. 
We talked mm-hmm. about some of the resource constraints in terms of skills and expertise and the speed at which the business is moving. So we still see a hybrid approach where there's certainly on-premise infrastructure that still requires management and expertise at that level. But as more organizations shift to cloud workloads, the skills in some cases don't translate and the same policies, procedures, and controls are different and require thoughtful a thoughtful approach to, to monitoring those, to assessing the risk of those configurations and settings. And as I said, the three M's continue to be a problem for most organizations that we're called in to support from a breach perspective, misconfigurations, mismanagement, and mistakes. Hmm. All right. Well, Thomas Etheridge, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's edition of Research Saturday and my conversation with Adam Taggart from the National Security Agency. We're going to be discussing NSA's most recent Science of Security report. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Carrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.